This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 143, entitled, Who is the True God Revealed in John's Apocalypse? My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host, and I appreciate you so much for tuning in to us this week at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The book of Revelation is a polarizing book within the Christian scriptures. One tends to find one of two different extremes when it comes to Christian attitudes on the book of Revelation. Either readers are too frightened and scared of its contents, that the book is completely ignored in preaching and personal discipleship, or self-proclaimed prophecy experts make the book of Revelation into the most important document in their theology. I respectfully suggest that both of these extreme positions need to be avoided. The book of Revelation brought direction as well as comfort to its original readers, and the book continues to sustain persecuted believing communities of faith even to this day. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will begin to examine the contents of the book of Revelation to see what it has to say about God, Christ, and their relationship. In particular, we will begin to look at the person of God in this episode. The Apocalypse of John is full of imagery, poetic metaphors, and even descriptive animals in its presentation of the unveiled message to its readers. Does the book of Revelation reveal that God is really more than one person? Does Revelation reveal some sort of truth that the one true God is Jesus Christ? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the one seated upon the throne. We're going to be looking at the figure who is seated upon the throne. And this figure gets introduced in the very first chapter. And I'm going to start in chapter 1, reading verses 4 through 5. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And so we see here the introduction. This is the epistolary greetings that we are familiar with from reading the letters of Paul. And we have grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. But we also learn that the seven spirits are before his throne. So the one who is and who was and who is to come sits on a throne. He is the one seated upon the throne, and 
it's pretty clear to see that he is distinguished from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. So Jesus Christ is not him who is and who was and who is to come, that is, seated upon the throne. Jesus is distinguished from that particular figure. Now, throne is a major theme in the book of Revelation. So it is rather significant that the true God is so frequently portrayed as the one seated upon the throne. The Greek noun thronos appears 47 times in the book of Revelation, which is more than any other book in the Bible. And Revelation's frequency is actually 21% of all of the biblical occurrences. In Revelation chapter 4, John is taken within a prophetic trance to see the heavenly throne room of God. And this chapter emphasizes how God is the center of the created universe. Within Revelation, this particular chapter, chapter 4, uses the noun thronos 14 times, which is the largest concentration of this noun in any chapter of the Bible, Revelation included. What most readers miss in a reading of this chapter is the way in which God is described. The noun theos, the Greek noun for God, only appears three times in this chapter. But God is described as the one who is seated upon the throne far more frequently. Said another way, the one who is seated upon the throne is the most frequent way that God is described in Revelation chapter 4. Let's look at some of these references and see what we can learn about this true God. We'll look in chapter 4 and verse 2, which says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting upon the throne. That's Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2. And we look at the Greek text, we can see that the one who is seated upon the throne, it says epiton thronon kathimenos. And so we have the verb there, which is singular. There is one person who is actively sitting upon the throne. Let's look at the next verse, chapter 4 and verse 3. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. It's Revelation 4 and verse 3. And there again we have in Greek, O kathimenos, the one who was sitting. The one person who was sitting. There is only one person described in this passage as the one who is enthroned. In chapter 4 and verse 9, a little bit later, we read, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever. That's chapter 4 and verse 9. And in Greek, we have to kathimeno, epitothrono, to zonti, is tus eonas, ton eonion. And again, by looking at the Greek text there, we can see that it is one person who is sitting upon the throne. The one person who lives 
forever and ever to him who is living into the ages of the ages. Look at the next verse, chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, The twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. That's chapter 4 and verse 10. And again, when we look at the Greek text, we can see that this is one single person who is sitting upon the throne. We have in Greek, Enopion to kathemenu epi to thronu ke proskenisusin to zonti is tus eonas ton eonon. Before the one who is seated upon the throne. It is one person. We have a singular article there. We have a singular verb there. They are worshiping the one person who is living into the ages of the ages. And what do they say to him in chapter 4 and verse 11? Worthy are you, our Lord and our God. And so we can see there we have in Greek, axios e, o kyrios ke o theos imon. Worthy are you, which is singular. Second person singular. And that singular person is the Lord and the God of us. One person. Worthy are you. Second person singular. Why? Why is God worthy? Later in the verse, chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, for you created all things. And it's hard to get this emphasis in English, especially in a printed text, but in Greek, there is an emphasis that's there because we have otisiektisas tapanta. And what that means for those that aren't Greek readers, when we actually have the pronoun prior to a verb, it's there for emphasis. There is a personal pronoun there prior to a verb. David Allen Black's Greek grammar helpfully notes that, quote, personal pronouns are used in the nominative case only when emphasis is intended. Page 67 through 68. So Black's Greek grammar helpfully reminds us that this particular passage, chapter 4 and verse 11, is putting emphasis on the fact that you created all things. You, the one person, created all things. It's not just you created all things. It's you, the one person, created all things. And for readers, the important point for us to walk away with is that since the 24 elders who are promoting this worship represent the priestly people of God, this call to worship is a summons for readers to participate in this chorus and for the readers to collectively recognize that God alone is the creator. One single person is the person who created all things, not two or three persons. The one who is seated upon the throne is the sole undivided creator. So we see a lot of emphasis of God being the one who is seated upon the throne in Revelation chapter 4. But this image does get nuanced as we continue in the narrative of the book of Revelation. We have another heavenly vision in chapter 7 
And in chapter 7, verse 17, we learn, For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. That's Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17. Interestingly here, we see that the Lamb is in the center of the throne. It could be translated that the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. And this throne, of course, is the, the one who is seated upon the throne's throne, that is God's throne, that is the Father's throne. But now we actually see that the risen and exalted Lamb is now at the center of this throne. What might that mean? In the very last chapter of Revelation, in chapter 22, in the vision of New Jerusalem, we learn a little bit more as to what this means. The narrative about the throne is unpacked a little bit further. In chapter 22 and verse 1, we read, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Then we look at verse 3. It says, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. That's Revelation 22, verses 1 and 3. And in these last occurrences of the phrase, the one who is seated upon the throne, we learn that it is the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's a single throne. And now the Lamb has been invited to share in God's rulership, God's dominion. The one who is seated upon the throne indicates an image of one who is ruling, one who is in charge, one who is in control. And by the end of Revelation, we learn that that privilege and that prerogative has been shared with the exalted Jesus. Jesus is now, in this image, sharing that throne with the Father, with God. And yet there's still that one person, that one person who is seated upon the throne, but now he has shared his rulership with Jesus. It is much like what we see at the end of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This authority to rule has been shared with the risen Jesus. And so now the imagery to express that both God and Jesus are ruling is the image of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Let's move on to our second point. The second point today is the God of Jesus. Yes, you heard it here. Jesus has a God. And you didn't need the book of Revelation to tell you that. You can see that in the Gospels, and you can see that in the writings of Paul. But you can especially see it here in the book of Revelation. The passage we'll look at to begin this section will begin with chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, which talks about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. That's Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, which describes Jesus Christ and how he has made us, he has made readers, into a kingdom and also into priest 
to his God and Father. That means that Jesus has a God, and this God is the Father. God is described as the Father, and it is the God of Jesus and the Father of Jesus. And this is very striking because Revelation is depicting the risen and exalted Jesus, the one who has been invited to share in God's rulership and dominion. Nevertheless, this Jesus still has a God above him, and that God is described as the Father. Now in chapter 3 and verse 2, we see a little bit more about the God of Jesus, where Jesus himself says, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. That's Revelation 3 and verse 2. Jesus claims to have a God. He has a God above him. Thereby, Jesus is subordinate to this God. And if that wasn't clear enough, Jesus describes God as his God four times in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. And this passage reads, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. It's Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, where Jesus claims to have a God four times. And so, it's very clear that the one who is seated upon the throne, who is described as the Father, is the God of Jesus. He's also the Father of Jesus. And Jesus himself admits out of his own mouth five times that he has a God. So however exalted the book of Revelation is going to depict Jesus, he is not exalted to the point to where he is now this God who is seated upon the throne. The one who is seated upon the throne is the God of Jesus, and they are clearly distinguished throughout the book of Revelation. This moves us to our third and final point. Point number three is the true God over all. So not only Jesus is depicted as having a God, there are multiple people in the book of Revelation that are described as possessing a God. Let's look at this passage. We've already looked at earlier in our section, but just to make the point about the God of the readers. In chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, it says, The twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they were and were created. Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, to where the 24 elders, which I described earlier as a representation, a poetic image of the people of God, who are represented as priests, they describe God as our God. So clearly, the true God is the God of the intended readers, who are functioning as holy priests. Let's look at our next passage, chapter 5, starting in verse 8. It says, The four living creatures and 
the twenty-four elders, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. That's Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It's where we now have the four living creatures in addition to the 24 elders claiming that God is their God, and they also acknowledge the worthiness of the Lamb. By acknowledging the worthiness of the Lamb, they clearly distinguish the Lamb from our God. You, Jesus, have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And the death of Jesus purchased for God with Jesus' blood, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So in this passage, we have the four living creatures, which represent created life and living things, in addition to the 24 priestly elders, all acknowledging that they have a God above them. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. The next passage is in chapter 7, starting in verse 9, where John tells us that after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Clearly there, our God is the one who is seated upon the throne, and this person is distinguished from the Lamb. And so who is doing the speaking here? Well, clearly it's a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. This is the collective redeemed people of God. That is very clear from the text. And they acknowledge, with their crying out, that salvation belongs to our God. He is the one who is seated upon the throne. And salvation belongs to the Lamb, to two persons. But our God is distinguished from the Lamb. No one would collapse and assume that the Lamb is our God. Our God is the one who is seated upon the throne. Moving on in chapter 12, verse 10, we hear that a loud voice in heaven was saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. That's Revelation 12 and verse 10, to where twice we learn that God is our God. It describes the kingdom of our God and also the authority of his Christ, his anointed one, his anointed king. Jesus is the anointed Christ of our God. 
They are distinguished. They are not confused. Christ is not our God. Our God has an anointed person. And who is saying this? Well, it's a heavenly voice, likely an angelic voice. But it's very clear here that it's an authoritative voice. It's speaking from heaven. It's speaking on behalf of God's authority. And this heavenly voice indicates that he has a God. And he mentions this two times. When we get to chapter 21 towards the end of the book of Revelation. We actually have God himself speaking and talking how he is the God of the intended reader. In chapter 21, verse 5, it says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water, of life, without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's Revelation 21, verses 5 through 7. And so we here have the one who is seated upon the throne promising the faithful, conquering reader that the reader will inherit these things, and they will have a specific relationship with God. God says that I will be his God and that this reader will be God's child. So it's God himself speaking and acknowledging that he is the God of the intended reader. Now my particular translation says that I will be his God, but in the Greek it is K-S-O-M-E-A-F-T-O-F-E-O-S and I will be God to him. It gets translated as his God, but I will be God to him is a little bit more accurate. But the point is nevertheless the same. God himself claims that he will be the God of the intended reader. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the book of Revelation, true to its name, reveals many truths about the true God and his position within the created universe. Despite the fact that Revelation utilizes a variety of images, metaphors, and animals to convey its message to its readers, the depiction of God's identity is nevertheless clear and easily discernible. We first noted that God's most common designation within the Apocalypse of John is that he is the one seated upon the throne. This image conveys to readers that God is in control and that he is exercising his just rule from heaven. More important to the discussion, the one seated upon the throne is always, without exception, depicted as a single person. There is no hint of plurality within this God who sits upon the throne. The throne room vision depicts a scene of worship where readers are told that God alone created all things. And this expression unambiguously portrays the act of creation as coming from one single person. 
As the narrative of Revelation continues, readers begin to see that the one who is seated upon the throne has exalted the Lamb to share in God's redemptive reign. Revelation chapter 7 depicts the risen and exalted Jesus at the center of the throne. And Revelation 22 indicates that the throne now has God and the Lamb upon it. This is the image Revelation uses to express how all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lamb. The one who is seated upon the throne has extended an invitation for Jesus to share in God's rule and reign. Secondly, we observe that God is clearly distinguished from the Lamb, especially in the repeated instances that the Lamb has a God. The one who is seated upon the throne is the God of and the Father of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself admits that he has a God five times in the book of Revelation. Since Jesus is the risen and exalted Jesus, who now shares in God's redemptive rule, Jesus still has a God above him. And this indicates that the one who is seated upon the throne is not co-equal with the Lamb. Lastly, we noted that, like Jesus, many others are portrayed as having a God above them. The one who is seated upon the throne is addressed as, quote, my God, end quote, or in the case of multiple speakers, our God. And this is said by the 24 elders, by the four living creatures, by a great multitude of redeemed people of God, and by an unnamed heavenly voice. Even God himself speaks to the conquering reader of John's Apocalypse and says that I will be your God. The God unveiled in the book of Revelation is a single person, and this portrayal of God is best described as biblical Unitarian in its theology. The depiction of God in the book of Revelation is incompatible with a theory that insists that God is more than one person, whether Binitarian or Trinitarian. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we begin to look at the Christology revealed in the book of Revelation. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote these sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by writing an honest review on iTunes and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. I want to offer an exceptional thanks to Dustin Williams for his post-production and editing of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Thank you, kind sir, for what you do every week. But my name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you folks, take care and be safe.